It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hi, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. With Halloween now behind us, we can officially look toward the holiday season. Not only, though, was October 31st Halloween, it was also the end of the emergency declaration in the state of Washington that has been in place for 20 months at the outset of the COVID pandemic. We will explore what that means with a local public health expert, plus RSV, a virus that has been in the news recently with high numbers of cases among children. We'll visit with a hospital-based pediatrician to learn about RSV, what causes it, its symptoms, and what to do if you get it. And later in our program, the story of a valuable program at Cadillac designed to help seniors navigate the complicated health system. First, we welcome Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, first question, fortunately, we've been able to experience less and less restrictions uh, the past several months with the pandemic. But earlier this week, the governor's emergency proclamation officially came to an end. What exactly does that mean? Is that really that big a deal? I think for most Washingtonians, listing the emergency declaration won't really be noticed. A couple of things will happen is there's a shift in focus from looking at individual cases and case counts to really having public health focus more on the outbreaks uh, in in those high-risk facilities like correctional facilities, long-term care. So looking at, at larger outbreaks rather than the individual cases throughout our community. And also uh, focusing more attention on the wastewater surveillance because that's that's where we're going to get some of our best information since we aren't going to be looking quite so closely at individual case counts. We need to know generally what's trending as far as amount of COVID circulating in our community and wastewater is giving us a, a really good picture. I think what the general public needs to realize is about 85% of the restrictions had already been lifted over the past year and the last few months with, you know, the business restrictions, the restaurant closures, the stay-at-home orders, all of those being lifted progressively over the last year or so. And I think where um, it may be still noticed a bit has to do with masking. Most mask mandates have already been lifted. But it's important for the um, community members to understand that there is a separate Department of Health requirement done by the um, State Secretary of Health, Dr. Shaw, who required face coverings in certain places, such as healthcare facilities and correctional facilities. So that mask mandate is separate to the emergency declaration. We know that this is going to be looked at over the next few weeks, and we expect to have some kind of an update on that uh, sometime about mid-November. Uh, and then the next thing that people wonder about are vaccinations, and there are certainly some lifting of the mandates for healthcare and education workers. Some employers have chosen to keep vaccination mandates for their employees in place, just like many vaccines are required in certain employment situations. Uh, State workers will still be required to receive the primary series, but boosters may not, that are not required. I think it's also important to look at labor and industry. Labor and industry has its separate uh, set of standards and regulations. 
since COVID is still seen as a workplace hazard, there are L&I rules in place, again, that are separate from the emergency declaration or any other requirements put out by the Washington State Department of Health. So probably the general public isn't going to notice a significant change in how work is being done with regard to COVID. So for now, the, the word on masks in healthcare-related facilities, i.e. doctor's offices, hospitals, and the like, long-term care facilities, masks are still being required, but that, that too may change in the next few weeks. That's correct. Dr. Shaw uh, will be convening a, a group of experts around the state and uh, will probably be rolling out some new um, criteria in those regards sometime about mid, mid-November. This time with the end of a milestone and certainly was 20 months that this emergency declaration was in place, it gives us another opportunity to really reflect on, gosh, 20 months of this and, and just the magnitude of what we have all been through. I, I know when we look back, it is pretty um, ominous to look back and see everything that happened, all that we lived through, all that we uh, came through as a community working together. But, you know, when I think about the last 20 months and what the emergency declaration meant, and, you know, unfortunately, all these mitigation strategies, we can say that we're pretty proud of how Washington State came through it. It had the um, sixth lowest death rate across the nation. So we saw a significantly lower death rate in Washington state thanks to the mitigation strategies. But unfortunately, we still lost more than 14,000 residents over this period of time. So it, it, is, it is, it was a very lethal virus. And even um, to this day, we still see uh, a number of people still dying from from COVID, not only in Washington state, but in our community. Actually, about 300 people nationwide continue to die of COVID on a daily rate. So we can't let our guard down. We know it's still here. We know it's going to continue to circulate for some time to come. Still watching the, the variants and realizing that this virus does continually change and some new variant could show up that would totally change the current picture, which we have low transmission rates. Our community is doing well. Our hospitals are not stressed from COVID, but we don't know what COVID has in store for us. And as soon as a a new variant that's more transmissible, more lethal comes along, again, that could really change the picture of, of what happens to us. We have a guest in our next segment, a hospital-based pediatrician from Cadillac that's going to get more detailed into uh, the RSV as it affects children. But where are we just in general with RSV? Are you still seeing it uh, in our region? Absolutely. We've been watching the the chart, the graphs that show us what's been happening with admissions and ER visits for RSV-related illnesses, and we started to see it go up, oh, probably three, four weeks ago, and it it is certainly spiking up and continues to go up. So we're, uh, again, much higher this week than we were even a week ago when we talked about this subject. So I think it's just another one of those respiratory viruses that come along with the fall seasons. We know that colds, flu, COVID, and now RSV are something we absolutely need to be vigilant and 
you know, the mitigation strategies are so similar for all of them. And it's, you know, washing your hands, keeping your hands away from your eyes, your nose, your mouth, keeping those surfaces sanitized, using good, good respiratory hygiene, coughing into a tissue or into your sleeve, and then washing your hands. And if you don't have access to soap and water, the good thing is the alcohol-based hand sanitizers do work on RSV. So um, COVID may be decreasing, but other respiratory illnesses are here, and uh, those sanitizers work very well on RSV. So don't put away your alcohol-based sanitizers. <laughs> and one, one quick question before we let you go on the flu shot. And I know one thing you had mentioned in previous programs, not only for that, but for COVID as well. But when you get a vaccination, it's usually a period of time after when it has its maximum effect. And is, I guess now our next holiday is Thanksgiving. So if uh, is there a, now a better time or, or no better time to get a flu vaccine than right now? You're exactly right. If you want to be at peak protection for influenza after your vaccine, now is the time to get that. It's two to three weeks for your body to respond and be at max uh, protection about the holiday time. And, and then you'll be carried with that protection on through the rest of the holidays and on into the um, springtime when we start to see influenza actually decrease in, in our area of the mid-Columbia. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. As always, thanks so much for your time. More information at the Health District's website, bfhd.wa.gov. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610-KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. Now, Heather Hill with the Health District touched on the RSV virus that is with us as the cold and flu season arrives, and it is especially impacting children, which can present serious health concerns. So we wanted to get a pediatrician's perspective on it, and we're happy to welcome to our program Dr. Lauren Malone, a pediatric hospital specialist at Catholic Regional Medical Center. And first question, Dr. Malone, we've heard that hospitals around the country are being hard hit with RSV. Is that the case at Cadillac? Yes. Hello. Um, we have actually seen uh, an increase in RSV. This is typically coming into the season when we would see it the most, but it has started earlier and we've had more numbers and more numbers in the older, slightly older children. And that means the one to two year um, age group. We've seen some more hospitalizations in that age group. So normally, in typical years, you would see it impacting even almost infant-age children? Right. Most of the hospitalizations are usually between about three to five months of age is the typical age that um, these kids will have the hardest time. Uh, mostly, we, we know that it's usually during their first exposure. So if, you know, depending on when, what month they're born, those sort of things can affect when they get their first uh, round of RSV. And then their subsequent infections tend to be slightly less extreme than the first. But yes, typically the hospitalized kiddos tend to be the infants and younger children. And at what point does a child, regardless of the, the infant age or even slightly older age, at what point do they require hospitalization? 
Yeah, so most of the time, one of the big things that happens is children's noses get really congested, and they uh, automatically breathe from their nose. So feeding becomes a major issue for them because they're trying to, you know, breathe, eat all at the same time, and so they can struggle a lot with that. So um, dehydration is relatively common uh, in the pediatric population for uh, admission. As well, we have seen a slight increase in the requirements for oxygen, so that would be another thing um, that would happen. Obviously, that would have to be seen in a a pediatrician's office or in the hospital, but um, also work of breathing. Parents will many times say the breathing doesn't look normal, and sometimes that can happen and be okay, and the kids can be okay for a while. Um, but sometimes that work of breathing is so much that it makes them ex- more sleepy than would be normal for, you know, their their age and their baseline. So um, that would be another thing if they were bre- breathing, working really hard and, and more sleepy, not waking up for feeds, those sort of things. And you maybe have just touched on some of that, but I recall my kids were infant age many, many years ago, but I do recall that that first episode with croup, and we were very concerned, and uh, it ended up not being, I guess, RSV at that point. But maybe if you would just spend a minute or two and kind of distinguish the difference of what people should look for, what parents should look for. Yeah, one of the one of the things that happens pre- pretty typically in all viruses, they sort of start a little mild, they get worse, and then they get better. So, and RSV is not any different. Typically, in the first couple of days of illness, they start to have a lot of congestion. So, um, nasal congestion. Sometimes parents won't even necessarily notice it, but the feeding, they can tell with the feeding. So, they take lots of pauses during the feeding um, because the upper parts of their airway tend to be congested. Then it moves down into the lower airways. So, that's um, the, what causes the work of breathing. The you know, parents will report wheezing, and that's pretty typical in this age group. It's not like asthma. Um, It causes symptoms similar to asthma, which is why you hear the wheezing, but they can make these audible noises when they're breathing. Um, And that's, it's basically settled down into the lower part of their lungs. They can have fevers. Up to half of children end up having fever. Um, The work of breathing we talked about and cough, certainly a cough. Um, So sometimes it's hard to distinguish from, say, rhinovirus or some of the other viruses that we see fairly regularly. But um, certainly the, the infant population tends to be really affected by this virus. And is it, I've heard it compared, it's very similar, like you say, to a lot of viruses, including COVID, including the flu and things of that right. nature. And so it's, that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the issue that, uh, the, and, and really there's no curative, uh, like an antibiotic, you don't give an antibiotic for it. So the treatments are still the same, correct? Right. Yep, absolutely. I mean, I think in terms of you know, supporting kids, the, they do respond to saline put in the nose uh, with some suctioning really well. I mean, that's like our first, second, and third line therapies when they, even when they come to the hospital. So, you know, a lot of times I'll tell parents before you even try to feed them, spray some saline up their nose because it just helps to break up all that congestion and helps them to eat better. Um, so they do tend to respond to that. Uh, again, many of the other viruses will, but RSV in particular responds really well to the saline in the nose. Obviously, once it's settled down into the lungs, it's not quite as useful, but 
um, in the early parts of the virus that can be really helpful. And when when a child, regardless of their age, needs to be hospitalized, in most cases, how, how long would a hospital stay just until they get their fluid levels back up and able to eat more regularly and more like they're supposed to be? Right. It it really is highly variable, honestly. It depends on if they need oxygen. Um, if they're having to work really hard to breathe, we have you know, levels of support we can give to them to help ease their breathing. And sometimes that can take us a couple of days to come off of. But typically, you know, the peak of the, these viruses, especially RSV, I always tell parents the third through the fifth day of illness is always the worst. So you'll, you'll, if we're, we're, depending on where we are in there, I tell them, well, we may get worse before we're better. Um, but typically after about the fifth, fifth to sixth day of illness, significant improvements start to be made. So sometimes if, a kid comes in on the second day of illness, then I can expect that their hospital stay may end up being a little bit longer because they're sicker earlier. Um, so it's it's pretty variable, but usually just a couple of days, um, depending on the severity, uh, you know. But all the way to needing intensive care. You know, so there's a big a big range, but in in general. The majority just need a couple of days, usually hydration. The breathing gets a lot easier, and the coughing gets better. So you're saying that third to third, three to five days, it's like it's almost like, should you monitor your watch and your clock or not? Right, <laughs> right. exactly. Like, what day are we? But I always ask parents because it is amazing how how pretty well in line. And you'll see, you know, on the fourth day, there may be their peak and. Um, so it's, but you never know if it's going to be the third day or the fifth day where they're going to peak, so <laughs> sometimes that's hard to tell. Now, across the country, we're hearing this incidence, it's, so it's not a problem unique to our region, but any conjecture as to why we're seeing this rise in this particular virus? Yeah, I mean, I think, I, I don't, I, it will be interesting to see what the total numbers come out to be at the end of this season, what we consider to be this RSV season, which is typically kind of September, October through February. Um, so the there definitely is some concern that because children have been masked and people have been masked and hand washing has been a big thing that for almost two years, these children have not been exposed. So that's one of the thoughts as to why the slightly older kids who haven't been exposed to RSV previously are getting a little bit sicker. So um, now whether or not there's something to the change in the immunity, we don't really know. But we do think that because there was a big period where they weren't getting really any viruses. I mean, even the incidence of the regular viruses that we used to see all the time throughout the summer were were down. So, um, and I think largely because of our preventative measures in terms of masking and hand washing and, uh, you know, paying more attention to cleaning things and making sure they're they're wiped down because that is one unique thing about RSV is it lives on things. So people get it from things. They don't get it from, um, you know, the respiratory secretions like COVID, for example. So RSV can live on a toy for six hours. So things that aren't sanitized and that sort of thing. But um, 
but that's kind of what what the what the theory is that this um, you know two years of not being exposed to viruses has probably led to some of this decreased immunity. If you could just sum up in maybe twenty seconds to thirty seconds, just so what's the bottom line advice for mom and dad listening at home with children? Yeah, I mean, I think I always tell parents trust your instincts, and you know the and pediatricians are starting to see these patients again in the clinic. If you're worried, you see that significant work of breathing. Certainly, any turning blue, pauses in breathing, not making wet diapers seems more sleepy than usual. Those are the big things. I mean, kids can have this work of breathing for for a while. They can have a cough for a long period of time. Those are the things that get these kids in trouble. Dr. Lauren Malone, a hospital-based pediatrician at Catholic. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. Very valuable advice for our parents. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation. And for more than 30 years, there has been a community service program focused on health care related to the over 50 population, the senior population, called Healthy Ages. And it's a program provided at Catholic Regional Medical Center that has been such a valuable community service over the years. And this time of the year, it's when it's at its most busy for the people uh, working with the Healthy Ages program. And that happens to be Kathy Manderbach, who is the program manager of the Healthy Ages program. And Kathy's with us on the program tonight to talk a little bit more about Healthy Ages specifically and why it is so busy at this time of the year. Welcome, Kathy. And maybe begin there. What What is it about this time of the year that keeps it so busy for you? Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Jim. And you bet. So this is the time of year where people can compare their Medicare uh, plans, uh, their prescription plans, and if they are enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans, they may want to be seeking out what's going to be new in the new year in 2023. So with the drug plans, the companies renegotiate pricing with the pharmaceuticals. And so the formulary can be different just because you had a plan that covered you well the year before does not mean that same plan is going to be your best option in the new year. So my coworker, Diana Henning and I are able to run comparisons to help our community members uh, potentially save a good amount of money on their plans for 2023. And this year, it's been keeping us really busy because in our counties, there are several new Advantage plans. And with the advertisements, we have a lot of calls with people interested in knowing the differences between their original Medicare with the Medigap versus the Advantage plans. So we still have openings for appointments and would be happy to um, get people scheduled. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out to me and Diana at Healthy Ages at 509-942-2700. And this open enrollment lasts until December 6th. So no matter if we do a comparison today or wait until that, or it's the 7th, the last day, the new plans do not become effective until January 1st, 2023. So just like most people who are in the working world that have insurance, they're in their annual 
picking their choice and making their health insurance choices just so it's the same for the Medicare population as well. It's true, yes. And a lot of people don't know that that can change from year to year. And so I'm grateful to be able to help promote that, that it's real important to do those comparisons because it can potentially save people a lot of money. And that makes my day at work a lot happier when I know I'm helping people save money. And with these plans, is is the work that you do, I mean, I imagine the one question that you get after having these sessions, of they would probably say, Kathy, so which one should I do? It, that's not necessarily what you're trying to accomplish. It's It's their decision. Yeah, thank you for asking that. Absolutely. We are looking out for the best interest for the, our clients. Um, it's really dependent on their health circumstances and their specific list of prescriptions. And I'm not a licensed agent, so I keep current on Medicare through webinars and conferences through the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services. And our goal is truly to help people navigate all of their options and be able to make choices that will help them have coverage best for their their uh, needs. This isn't necessarily classified as a as a consultation between me and you, but without having a full hour to talk about it, basically what what are the what are the important explain really quickly what what people are getting when they're having to choose a Medicare plan. Certainly. So when people originally sign up for Medicare, they have the option, um, and if they're not working, they would enroll into Medicare Part A, which is hospitalization, and then their next piece would be Medicare Part B, which is medical appointments, such as outpatient surgeries, outpatient imaging, regular doctor appointments, scene specialists, and then there is supplemental coverage that um, is an option. It's not required um, for people to enroll into that is designed to pick up leftover balances after original Medicare A and B have paid its portion. And so there are different levels of coverage with that Medigap, and people can choose according to what benefits are important to them to have covered. And then new to um, Benton Franklin County starting in 2020 were our Advantage plans again. And with those, um, there can be some additional perks such as dental coverage, maybe some coverage for vision and some help paying for hearing aids or uh, gym memberships. So it's just, you know, whatever is important for people to have. Um, But with the Advantage plans, there is a network of providers, and so that's what Diana and I can help people um, find out is if their providers are in the network for the plans that are coming up as a good option for them. And then the other important letter in the alphabet relative to Medicare is the Part D, and is that the prescription drugs? That is correct, and this is the time of year where um, if you have a standalone prescription drug plan or an Advantage plan that includes prescription drugs, where we run the comparison, and it's on a tool um, on the Medicare.gov website. And so we plug in the prescriptions, the quantity and dosage, and the tool just automatically brings to the top the the plans that will cover uh, the client's uh, prescriptions at the lowest cost. And a part of that formula is also which pharmacies they choose to have their prescriptions dispensed through. So it the price can vary greatly from pharmacy to pharmacy, not only from plan to plan, but as well through the pharmacies. So as you're saying, just like the plans change for the subscriber, the people, 
uh, the work that you have to do on the front end to make sure you're trying to understand it so you can explain it to them? Yeah, yep. So we we can um, then do that either through a phone call and we also can consult with people in the office and we can generate a report that they can we can send through email or that they can take and then um, be able to see the differences um, with their choices. And if you would, I know, again, these are free. And if you would like to call the office and schedule an appointment, it's 509-942-2700. But, Kathy, if you would, if I schedule an appointment, uh, what would that what would it entail when, when I show up? Sure. So what it would entail is you having your prescription list or your prescriptions with you so that I can enter them correctly um, into the plan finder and then knowing who you had for your coverage for the current year so we can see if it's worth making a change or not. And if you're coming to the office, we can turn the computer to the client so that they can push the enroll button and enter their Medicare card number um, on their own. And so they would want to bring their Medicare card with them to that appointment. And so these are consultations, and I know, obviously, during COVID, they had to be remote, but one of the, the neat features, I guess, even pre-COVID is that um, you have families that are not necessarily just physically living in the Tri-Cities that use this service, right? Yeah, we really kind of picked up clientele outside of the Tri-Cities during COVID. So I recently have helped people in Prosser and in Yakima and often Walla Walla residents. So finally, the the point relative to Medicare is uh, that what are the key de- dates? And again, review, if you would, uh, how they can get a hold of you to schedule one of these appointments. Certainly, yeah. So the open enrollment runs from October 15th through December 7th. And the way that people can schedule appointments is by contacting us. We're not in the office every day, so it is important to schedule an appointment. And you can do that by calling 509 509- We're visiting with Kathy Manderbach, the program manager of the Healthy Ages program provided by Cadillac, free of charge, uh, not only for these Medicare counseling sessions, but a whole array of services throughout the year. And when we come back, Kathy's agreed to stay with us for another segment, and we'll talk a little bit about more about the services of Healthy Ages. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And a reminder, if you missed any part of our program, Cadillac On Call is available via podcast. Just search Cadillac On Call wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We are visiting with Kathy Manderbach, the program manager with the Cadillac Healthy Ages program. And we spent the past segment talking about the Medicare counseling that is available. And we're right in the sign-up season for Medicare-eligible Uh, folks in our community. And if you'd like to schedule a consulting appointment with Kathy or her uh, co-worker partner, uh, Diana, you can call 509-942-2700. And those meetings are free of charge. And Kathy, I wanted to spend a little more time broadening the the talk about healthy ages because I know it's way more than just that, though that's very important service that is provided. Uh, But there's another program, part of the Healthy Ages program, 
that I'd love to cover because I know it's being able to come back out of COVID in a little more uh, a little more focused area, and that is the Mall Walkers program that has been in existence for a number of years. You're, we're able to finally allow folks to get back into the mall and do their walking. Talk us a little bit about that. Sure. We are so excited. We started back up on October 3rd. We re-engaged our wonderful volunteers to be stationed at the food court um, in the mall Monday through Thursday from the hours of 11 a.m. to 12.30, which is the opening hours of the mall Monday through Thursday. And then on Fridays, it's from 10 until 11.30. And then these hours will move back an hour um, after Black Friday. So starting on November 28th, our volunteers will be at the mall from 10 until 11.30, Monday through Thursday, and from 9 a.m. to 10.30 a.m. on Fridays. And so what this does for people, they can um, report their miles to those volunteers and registered mall walkers are incentivized for their mileage. So they can earn incentives such as T-shirts, little uh, waste packs, fanny packs that they can hold their cell phone and keys in and socks. Um, And then there's little um, patches that our walkers can earn. And if people are not currently a mall walker, they can sign up to be one. And registration forms are available in the food court with those volunteers. Or, again, they can call Cadillac Healthy Ages, and I can either mail or email the registration form to people. We are excited to have that going again. I should say, and it's a wonderful program, because I know we touched on at the start of the interview with you about the longevity of the the Catholic Healthy Ages program, many, many decades. So there's some people that have logged thousands of miles, right? There are people that have logged thousands of miles. And we do, We prior to COVID, we did celebrations to honor those people that earned the big incentives. And we've had even a walker um, that lost 100 pounds, and they credit it to the mall walking program, Jim. It's pretty amazing. And certainly that, that's the main impetus for it is, to, is, a, is, a, is a means of fitness. And, and obviously, especially at this time of the year, as, as we start to lose daylight, that uh, it's, it's where they can go in and, and do it in a warm and safe environment. Yeah, and for a lot of people, they need that smooth surface to walk on. So it helps keep our walkers safe. And traditionally, people had to accumulate those miles while at the mall or on the mall property. But uh, we opened that up and still are honoring people that walk um, in their neighborhoods or on treadmills. We just truly want to encourage people to keep moving. (laughs) And and if you would, to me, I know the many times that I've had the opportunity to go out and and watch the the mall walkers and the people. Certainly the fitness is, is priority one, but just the social contact, the interaction, the friendships that are made is another that just, it always amazed me to see the, the conversations happening out there. Yes. I always joke that the, the ladies and the men sitting in the, at the tables at the food court are serving, solving the world's problems. That's a really cool thing. <laughs> They're holding court in do. the food court. Yeah. <laughs> and then what was fun to, to hear was, you know, when COVID hit, they couldn't be in the mall because it was closed. 
But I was thinking, oh, we need to develop a phone tree. And I called one of our volunteers, and they had started it without me even suggesting it. So we had people calling. um, They had like a phone tree calling to check in on members, which was just amazing. So they continued to stay in touch. And some of them walked in other locations together. And that's another key point that you said is, and we touched on, is the friendships that are made. And, you know, many people, if they're an older population, they may have lost a spouse. And so it's an opportunity for them to to have fellowship and maybe re-engage with with friends and people that that they may not have been able to do as much uh, before when they they were, you know, their spouse. They relied on them for so. So it's another outlet for them. It is, yes. And then just checking in to make sure everybody's safe and doing okay. Hey, one last component before we let you go. Talk a little bit about uh, there's another component of Healthy Ages, and those are monthly programs that are also free and available and hopefully someday soon back in in person with those. But you've been able to continue those. and Give us a brief comment about that and when those are held. Sure. What, What Jim's talking about are the monthly wellness programs, and we did continue those. Um, but we shifted to offering those virtually. Um, and the next one will be held virtual on January 19th. That's a Thursday at 1 o'clock. And our presenter will be um, from Aging and Long-Term Care talking about their services that they provide to our community. In March, we are transitioning to back to live programs um, at the CUP Church in Richland. So for more information on those programs, um, you can reach back out to Cadillac Healthy Ages. And a great way to learn about the programs is to sign up to be a Healthy Ages member, which is a free membership and that gets you postcards to remind you about those monthly programs. It will get you the newsletter that is published from staff at the Cadillac Neurological Resource Center um, and it will get you an invite to the annual holiday party. Kathy Manderbach, Program Manager of Catholic Healthy Ages. That phone number, 509-942-2700. Thanks to all of our guests tonight, and thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week.